game Friday morning. Presented by 105.3 The Fan. Welcome into Big Game Friday morning right here on NBC5 presented by 105.3 The Fan. My name is Kevin Gray alongside my main man, Chris Blake, joining me here as Pat Doney. Of course, he's been kicking it in uh, in New Orleans. <laughs> he <Wisconsin>. has. <laughs> How's it going, Kevin? I'm good, man. Good to see you, man. What do you think Pat's been doing uh, the last – you think he went out in Bourbon Street last night? I don't think that's Pat's scene. I don't think that's necessarily his scene, but I'm sure he got a couple of beignets, was able to spend some time in New Orleans to get some good gumbo uh, because when you're in New Orleans, you got to eat like you're in New Orleans. Yes. And for the Cowboys, fortunately – they were able to get the win on the road, 27-17 to 17, over the New Orleans Saints. A big weekend of football here, right here on NBC5. Big game Friday morning presented by 105.3 The Fan. A big weekend of high school action as far as the state playoffs are concerned. Big 12 title game this weekend between Baylor and Oklahoma State. A lot to get to coaching carousel. That's that's more intriguing to me than some of these on field things. <laughs> that's I right. love I love Lincoln Riley like being flown in private jets all over the country yeah. and TCU bringing Sonny Dykes across the Metroplex in a helicopter instead of driving him to Fort Worth. All the pomp and circumstances, just as much fun as the actual games. That's right. Sometimes the uh, off the field stuff is much more exciting than what happens actually on the field. And there was a lot of it this past week with the coaching carousel going round and round with Brian Kelly and others moving on from their places to new places. But we start obviously with the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys move to eight and four on the season. They get a 2017, 27 to 17 win over the New Orleans Saints. They use four interceptions, two sacks, Six tackles for loss. Micah Parsons was absolutely spectacular once again. He now has 10 sacks on the season, tied for eighth in the National Football League, and has firmly, I think, cemented himself in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. But for a Cowboys team, Chris, that lost three of their last four, needed a big win to get themselves uh, a little bit more confidence as far as their performances were concerned, knowing how poorly they have been playing over the last few weeks. A big win on the road against the New Orleans Saints last night. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't pretty at times, um, but they got the job done. And that's kind of been the MO for this team over the last month or so. Things have not been very pretty for the Dallas Cowboys. But you go in, you get a win. I don't want to poo-poo it too much, but you were playing a quarterback that's essentially a wildcat quarterback. Uh, but he gave you some gifts in the fourth quarter. Three interceptions in the fourth quarter mm -hmm. for Taysom Hill. Uh, really got in the way of any chance of a Saints comeback. But, you know, a win's a win, and you move on from there. Uh, intercepted three times in the final six minutes and 32 seconds was Taysom Hill. Is that Hill. bad? Uh, that's not great. <laughs> okay. uh, de definitely not great. <laughs> uh, speaking of a win being a win, Dak Prescott last night uh, didn't necessarily play great, but at the same time, when you had the kind of adversity that the Cowboys have been dealing with, the ability to walk into New Orleans and get a win for the first time in New Orleans since 2009 – it's a big deal. Here is Dak Prescott talking about why it was so important for them to get the win that they did. And, hey, look, a win is a win for him. I mean, a win's a win. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, as you just said, the adversity we've, we've had, we faced um, coming off the, the last two weeks and then coming in this week and just being hit with the COVID, uh, losing, losing the head coach this week. And just, I mean, so many people stepped up. Credit to Dan Quinn, uh, the coordinators, uh, all the leaders on this team of – 
um, of, of doing what was necessary to be ready for this game and then just uh, through the ups and this up and down in this game, um, playing complimented football. When we weren't doing our job on offense, defense, uh, we're creating turnovers. So, I mean, um, tough to come in a place like this and win, and we're able to do that. Dak Prescott going 26 to 40 for 238 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. He talked about the adversity that this Cowboys team dealt with. No Mike McCarthy as he had to stay home, obviously dealing with COVID. No Terrence Steele. He also had COVID. No Joe Philbin, offensive line coach. Several position coaches had to stay home due to COVID-19. But at the same time, while it was an ugly win, you give this Cowboys team credit for going into New Orleans, getting a win, and more importantly, getting some of that confidence back that they needed while you didn't like necessarily the way they performed offensively at times, we'll get to Kellen Moore and some of the things that were going on offensively in just a minute. But at the same time, this was a big win for a Cowboys team that desperately needed one on the road. Yeah, I mean, if if they would have lost last night and it had been four out of five, we would have come in here this morning and been questioning what's wrong, like the sky is falling, is this team going to even make the playoffs because that's what Cowboys fans <laughs> and people that cover the team do. But – you know, this felt like they were the better team. They were kind of gelling a little bit more offensively. They didn't have CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper for most of the last two games. I know CeeDee Lamb played the first half against Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Dak getting on the same page with them. Michael Gallup still trying to still working his way back in after missing a large chunk of games. I mean, his touchdown grab in the first half was incredible, getting that second foot down. Uh, so I think having all these weapons back will hopefully help them move in the right direction. Hopefully this little week and a half, kind of like another buy mm-hmm. setup, helps Zeke uh, get a little bit healthier, and those weapons all start to gel again like we saw early in the season for the Cowboys. Yeah, the Cowboys get themselves a 10-day break now with the mini-buy that you described there with them playing back-to-back games you know, on Thursday. So now with the 8-4 and four record that they have, they still sit fourth in the playoff picture, obviously winning the NFC East as it currently stands right now. We'll get to a couple of games of importance this week in the NFC East when it comes to the Washington football team and the New York football Giants. But for the Dallas Cowboys now, defensively, when you start to see what they did last night, Micah Parsons, as I mentioned, got his 10th sack of the year, a huge play that allowed to take the Saints out of field goal range at a critical juncture you know, of the game. I thought Demarcus Lawrence performed extremely well. He was coming back for the first time since week one, dealing with the broken foot. He was able to create a lot of pressure. And you give credit to J. Ron Curse, Trayvon Diggs, and this secondary for really able to make some plays in the secondary to get some turnovers and really force Taysom Hill as the game went on to have to be a passer. Now, I will say I did not like the way that the Cowboys defensively were defending the run at one point. Taysom Hill had seven carries for 75 yards in the third quarter that was, alone. Yeah, that first drive of the third quarter. Exactly. And you saw how well the design runs were working for Sean Payton, you know, and Taysom Hill in that offense, which really, that was the only offense that they really had. But give credit to the Cowboys in their defense for sticking with it and really carrying this offense in this game to a win that they actually had to have in New Orleans last night. Yeah, I mean, for a while, I don't know if maybe I'm the only person that thought this. The way he was messing with his finger after he hit it on uh, Dorrance Armstrong mm-hmm. in the first half, I was like, can he throw anymore? <laughs> like, they ran so many times in a row. I was like, maybe this is their offense for the rest of the night. Uh, but, no, he did deliver some some good balls after that sequence. But, you know, this Cowboys team has a lot of great – I don't know, maybe great strong word. I think great for a couple of them is 
okay, though, with Micah Parsons and uh, Trayvon Diggs, mm-hmm. great individual players. Mm-hmm. They still are struggling to kind of slow down teams on the ground. They allowed some big plays, even through the air, uh, with Taysom Hill, who is not the most accurate passer. He did deliver some good ones. Um, but for the most part, they're still giving up big plays, and they're still reliant on those turnovers to you know, keep opponents down to 17 points like they did last night. And that's kind of been the theme. I don't think that's going to change. I think they're always going to be a t- takeaway-reliant defense. Mm-hmm. They're not going to slow down teams on offense very much. They're going to have to rely on fumbles and interceptions to do the job. And they were fortunate last night that they they got a few g- – a couple of those were good picks. A couple, of them, right. a couple of them were gifts. <laughs> but, you know, you take what you can get, and you rely on those individual performers like – uh, Parsons and Diggs and all the guys you've mentioned. And I really thought Demarcus Lawrence, he only he didn't play a ton. He right. played about half the game. But you know he was just driving offensive linemen into the backfield, and that's what we want to see. And if they get Randy Gregory back in short order, this could really get the Cowboys' defense rolling again. Yeah, and that was really encouraging to see Demarcus Lawrence come out the way that he did. It was on the first drive. You could tell that he was ready to get back on the field and play the way that he did. And speaking of this defense, give a lot of credit to Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, who has helped turn this defense around this season, had the chance last night to step in for Mike McCarthy, who, of course, had to stay home due to COVID-19. Dan Quinn wanted to make sure that he did not let Mike McCarthy down. Here's what Dan Quinn told the media last night about making sure that he did this for Mike McCarthy last night. We wanted to make sure Mike and all the guys who missed uh, let them know we got their back. And so, honestly, it was the only thing I was nervous about. Like, I didn't want to let him down, Mike, you know, to make sure we could. He's done a great job of leading us to how it's going to go down, the play style that we want to go. But uh, it was just a cool win, total team win. He talked about playing complimentary ball. And so getting the ball out a few times tonight, man, that was big. And so to have a a four-interception night. That was huge. So uh, it was. This is a tough place to play, uh, and this is a tough team. And so to have that kind of resiliency tonight, I thought it was a cool thing. Dan Quinn would know how tough a place it is to play in terms of New Orleans because he coached there for several years in Atlanta, playing the New Orleans Saints twice a year. So if you had to have someone have to step in to be able to handle these circumstances. It doesn't get any better than having Dan Quinn, someone who's had obviously had coaching experience in that hostile environment to be able to lead this defense and this team overall to a really good win. While, yes, you took advantage of a Saints team that was shorthanded. They didn't have their left tackle, didn't have their right tackle, didn't have their best pass rusher. You know, and Marcus Davenport didn't have Alvin Kamara. You had to get this win. And for Dan Quinn, a big one for this team, especially the way that they did it defensively, the way that they carried the offense on Thursday night. I think so. And am I underselling this win too much? Maybe I should just be happy with the win that they went into New Orleans, which, like Dan Quinn says, is a tough place to play. He coached there once a year for the six years he was the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So maybe I need to take a step back, be happy with it. Um, but, yeah, you know, if, if Jameis Winston's healthy or if Alvin Kamara is healthy, maybe things look a little bit different last night. But, you know, it's a Thursday night game. Obviously, everybody gets amped up a little bit more Mm -hmm. for these nationally televised night games. So I'm going to re I'm going to recalibrate a little (laughs) bit here. Dan Quinn, just like he does to all the players, puts the positive spin on it and uh, gets you thinking a little bit differently. It's amazing now how a win last after last night, it felt a lot like like a loss. I'm not going to lie to you, because (laughs) the way that you're encouraged by the way the defense played. Yes. Being able to get takeaways, being able to put pressure on Taysom Hill. They did a lot of really good things. But when I started thinking about offensively how this team has continued to struggle, 
ever since they had the game against the New England Patriots, you know, coming off the bye week, it feels like this offense has changed, and I don't know if it's changed for the better. You saw several times in this game, you know, running the ball on second down, really putting themselves in bad situations. I'm not sure what's going on with Kellen Moore in terms of the play calling. You're not seeing a lot of pre-snap motion. You're not seeing a lot of the different things to try and stress defenses. And one of the things that I think we've seen change over the last several weeks is, you know, obviously with Noah Amari Cooper, you're going to force guys like C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup and others to try and beat you. And teams are looking at their situation with their wide receivers and saying, look, we're going to play press coverage on you. We're going to see if these receivers can beat us. And if they can, great. But if we don't believe that they necessarily can, and, you know, you were glad to have Amari Cooper back. You know, he had a you know really terrific catch for 41 yards in the game. But this Cowboys offense is still slogging around right now. And, unfortunately, that continued against a good Saints defense. But at the same time, you thought you would be able to really take it to this Saints defense, especially knowing that they were missing guys you know, like Davenport and others to be able to try and put some more stress on them, and they just simply couldn't do it offensively. I mean, I think we're underselling it a little bit. It's a Saints defense. They're third in the league against the run, so mm-hmm. it is a very good run defense, and they held the, held the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys still gained 146 yards on the ground. Granted, felt like half of that was on one Tony Pollard run. That's right. Uh, but when it comes to the passing game especially, I was listening to – your station, 105.3 The Fan, mm-hmm. on my way here this morning. And Sean and RJ had Brad Sham on for a little bit. And he said he and Babe Laufenberg were talking off air last night and that they just seem it just feels like something with Dak is just a little bit off. It's hard to put your finger on what it is. He looks totally healthy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's just been the receivers coming in and out of the lineup. There's a lot of flux on the offensive line, too. A lot of pieces moving around there. This Cowboys offense just has not had everybody – healthy and on the field together very often at all this year it seems like we're trending in that direction to where they're going to be able to get there like we said earlier uh so you know maybe that continuity getting zeke a little bit of rest uh allowing amari cooper to get his conditioning back and being more than just a third down threat can get this offense back on track moving into the last five weeks of the season no, I agree. I think part of what this has been is that you've seen some of the flux in terms, like you mentioned, the offensive line, moving parts in terms of, you know, Connor McGovern, left guard, you know, Terrence Steele, obviously with Leo Collins, trying to figure out the best combination for this offensive line, the best starting five going forward. And you mentioned no, you know, Amari Cooper, no CeeDee Lamb, you know, prior to, you know, the game against, you know, the Saints. So they've been dealing with a lot when it comes to, you know, injuries, you know, inconsistency on the offensive line. And I think for Dak Prescott, though, this is a time, these next 10 days, him and Kellen Moore have to find a way to recalibrate when it comes to this offense because the lack of creativity that we've seen over the last several weeks, some of the decision-making in terms of, you know, play calling, you know, with second down runs, trying to run Zeke out on a, you know, on a receiver pattern, you know, with a bum leg. There's a lot of different things that you could question right now, you know, with this offense. But, you know, this team has overcome a lot of adversity. And for C.D. Lamb, you know, a guy who had a really good game, you know, last night against the Saints, COVID has hit this team hard, but you give the Cowboys credit for overcoming it. Here's what C.D. Lamb had to say about this team overcoming adversity, especially dealing with COVID. COVID hit us hard um, the past couple of weeks. And uh, for us to come out here and um, obviously battle without our head coach, as you said, uh, speaks volume on this team. Um, we have each other's back. And uh, we preached that in the locker room just about every day. And uh, we understood the assignment, got the job done. And uh, I'm happy for us. 
CeeDee Lamb with those seven catches for 89 yards. Michael Gallup had the beautiful touchdown catch uh, to allow the Dallas Cowboys to take the lead initially. Um, so, look, while you feel like the sky may be falling just a tad because they didn't impress you the way that they did, this isn't college football. You don't have to win with style points. All you have to do in the National Football League is win games. And Mike McCarthy talked about the idea over the last couple of weeks of winning games ugly. And this is a perfect example of winning an ugly football game in a hostile environment where, yes, you gave up some big plays as far as Taysom Hill was concerned, but your defense was able to take the football away and you got just enough out of your offense to help you win this football game. Now you get the chance to rest for the next 10 days to get ready to take on the Washington football team and hopefully continue to get healthy with guys like Neville Gallimore and Randy Gregory coming back to really help this defense continue to get better. And offensively, for Kellen Moore, Dak Prescott, and this entire offensive unit, how do they get back to being able to play in the kind of football that really had this team being considered arguably the best offense in all the National Football League? That, to me, is going to be key going forward for this Cowboys team. Well, and all the pieces are still there for from the team that was considered possibly the best offense in the National Football League. I mean, everybody, you were without Cedric Wilson last night, but mm -hmm. other than that, everybody was healthy. And not to discount him either. He tur has turned into a reliable weapon for Dak on numerous occasions so far this season. So I think you work to get him back, and we keep going back to health. But I have confidence that this offense is going to figure it out because last year before Dak got hurt, they looked the exact same as they did early in this season. So this is a talented group. It's... You've got younger guys like Lamb and Pollard who are continually getting better and to go with the veterans you have that are not dropping off quite yet, despite what is being said about Zeke in some <laughs> circles. I don't think he's anywhere near done. I think he's just got to get everything straightened out health-wise. So, you know, we'll see. Ten days, you said uh, Dak and Kellen Moore need to figure it out. That's probably where they need to go. And there was a couple instances, though, where – if they just hit on a couple plays, we might even not even be talking about this. Like the one that comes to mind is that fourth down play in the first quarter, I believe, mm -hmm. where CeeDee Lamb just turned the wrong way. A little on miscommunication the there, yep. yeah. If he mm -hmm. turns inside instead of looking to the outside, he's walking in for a touchdown on fourth down. And in that case, you know, maybe the game gets blown open and they're just running the ball for the second half entirely. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things that are close. They just got to clean it up a little bit. Last thing with this in terms of the Cowboys and the Saints that I'll say, you talked about guys improving. Micah Parsons, week over week, continues to improve. He's got five consecutive games with at least a sack. The first player to do that since Joey Bosa back in 2016, the first rookie to do that since 2016 uh, with Joey Bosa. He continues to play absolutely terrific football. Not only has he locked up the defensive rookie of the year for sure because he won defensive rookie of the month for the month of November, He's firmly now in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. There's only been one player that's ever won Defensive Player of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year. That was Lawrence Taylor back in 1981. It's not a bad comp. Yeah, it's not a bad comp at all. <laughs> that is how good Micah Parsons has been. Here is Micah Parsons talking about how guys have been buying in to what Dan Quinn is selling and why the Cowboys specifically with Micah Parsons has been the beneficiary of that. It's different when you got 10 guys bought in and maybe you got 20 guys bought in or 30 when you got, you know, 53 guys that's in there bought in for a guy and you want to put everything out on, I think that speaks value.
of who Dan is and I think it's value of the uh, team we have going on right now. And I think everybody was so excited about the win. It's good to put a win on the sheet and a uh, good opportunity to get ready for next week. So the Cowboys now get 10 days off. They get ready for the Washington football team. They need the rest. They just finished the stretch where they played three games in 12 days, and now they have a great opportunity to be able to get some guys healthy, get some rest while still preparing for a Washington football team that's been playing much better as of late. Chris, speaking of the Washington football team, uh, as we transition to a couple of games that are important in the NFC East uh, this week, the Washington football team visits the Las Vegas Raiders. The Washington football team at 5-6, and six, the Raiders at 6-5. and five. The Vegas Raiders are a 2.5-point favorite at home. But Washington playing better football as of late. Taylor Heineke and this football team playing much better. They've put themselves in contention for the NFC East. I don't think necessarily they will win it because the Cowboys would have to have an epic fall in order for them to win the NFC East. But give credit to Washington and the Ron Rivera and this group. They're playing much better as of these as of late. And they're going to have a chance to go take that NFC East if they want it. They play the Cowboys two out of the next three games include uh not their next three games obviously because they've got Vegas coming up but after that they play them next week and then they also play the Cowboys the day after Christmas which is on NBC5 Sunday Night Football but this is a defense that has been playing a lot better it was before the season you know everyone talked about that defensive line being one of the best groups in all of football and Mm -hmm. they were awful for a month but you look at their last three games They've allowed 15 points to Seattle, which I know that offense is struggling right now, but you still have a lot of talent over there for the Seahawks. They gave up 21 to Carolina and held Tampa Bay to 19 during this three-game winning streak. So it's a defense that's playing a lot better right now. And the way the Cowboys' offense is looking right now, that could be somewhere where Washington has a little bit of an edge in a couple of weeks. Obviously, we'll see how they fare against Vegas. Uh, We know the Raiders can put up points too, so that'll be an interesting uh, give and take to see which side wins out there. Give the Raiders credit for walking into AT&T Stadium to get a win on Thanksgiving Day. The Raiders are 6-0 and this season when Derek Carr throws for at least 300 yards. So the Washington football team is going to have their hands full uh, with Derek Carr and this football team. I'm going to take the Vegas Raiders, though, at home. I think they do handle their business and get the win against the Washington football team because, honestly, uh, the Cowboys need the Washington football team to lose at this point. <laughs> so we'll just go ahead. And so what the Cowboys need, that's what we're going for. Exactly, exactly. Uh, speaking of uh, wins, the Miami Dolphins right now are the hottest team in the National they Football are. League. Uh, they are 5-7, and seven, but they have played terrific football as of late. The Dolphins rank second in the NFL in defensive expected points added during their current four-game winning streak, uh, forcing 10 turnovers, which is third in the National Football League, taking on a Giants football team uh, at 4-7 and seven, uh, that continues to struggle. But give credit to Tua Tungavailoa, completing 80%, at least 80% of his passes with at least 30 attempts in each of his past two games. That's time for the longest such streak in NFL history. Kyler Murray did it uh, earlier this year, and Drew Brees and Peyton Manning did it in 2018 and 2013. The Dolphins are playing really good football, and defensively they are getting it done. Uh, I like the Dolphins in this particular game to continue their winning ways. They're a four-point favorite at home against the New York Giants this weekend. I do too, especially with uh, Daniel Jones being kind of a 50-50 proposition. They haven't at least last night when I looked, they hadn't made a decision one way or the other whether whether he was going to play on Sunday. He's dealing with a neck strain suffered last week against Philadelphia. 
and credit to Tua and the play callers there because there's been times that in his first couple of years of his career when Tua's really looked like he was struggling and you don't know if he's going to make it as the franchise quarterback in Miami, but they've adjusted the play calling, gotten him acclimated to where he's throwing higher percentage throws, completing more of them, and they're relying on that and Miles Gaskin, a strong running game and all that kind of stuff to propel them in this winning streak. So we'll see how the Dolphins fare against the Giants. Like I said, I'll take the Dolphins there. Their terrific defense has been really good for them. 5-1 and one against the spread as a home favorite this year when it comes to that. Before we move on to some college football here, if the Super Bowl were today, who would you be taking as far as the Super Bowl is concerned? Well, I told you this before we started, but I'm going to take an easy way out. I'm going to stick with the Packers. That's who I had last week in the NFC. Mm-hmm. And I'm holding off on the AFC – Ask me Monday night at about 1030. I'm going to take the winner of the Bills Patriots. Whoever wins that game, that's going to be my AFC team. I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb right now, and I hate to do it, but I'm going to take the Patriots and the Packers right now. Wow. That's how good the Patriots have been. Defensively, they are for real. The Packers, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers and what he has continued to do in the NFC. But the Patriots, man, they run the football. Defensively, they're really good. I guess I'd have to take the Patriots right now as the best team in the AFC versus the Packers in the Super Bowl. It pains me to do that. The AFC is just all over the place. It really is. You never know from week to week. Baltimore's right up there as well. Uh, Speaking of all over the place, uh, the college (laughs) football coaching carousel has been all over the place. And if you, you, you would not have known any of this unless you just lived under a rock because the way that coaches have moved Brian Kelly to LSU, Lincoln Riley to USC, Sonny Dykes moving from SMU to TCU, Rhett Lashley, the former offensive coordinator for SMU who went to Miami, became their offensive coordinator, comes back now to SMU as their new head coach. Uh, Marcus Freeman, as of today, is going to be the new head coach for Notre Dame, the defensive coordinator taking over from there. Uh, who knows where Notre Dame or Notre Dame, like I said, just hires Marcus Freeman. So they've got their next coach, but just a wild coaching carousel when it comes to what they've got going on. It's been a lot. And one of the guys that is following this closely is the SMU beat writer for the Dallas Morning News. That is Joseph Hoyt. He joins us now on Big Game Friday morning. Joseph, thanks for taking a second to jump on with us today. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. So. Step back, big picture, before we even get into individual jobs. Has there been, in your memory, or that you can look back on, any week quite like we just saw kicked off on Sunday when the news broke that Lincoln Riley was headed to the West Coast? No, the the last week has been absolute madness. Um, you know, when Lincoln was, when it bro- the news broke on that, you know, I had decided to take a quick break from all the coaching stuff because SMU, TCU had kind of <laughs> settled for the day. And so I actually went to go play a little bit of golf and, you know, I like double take and looked at my phone. I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. The, the carousel is absolutely wild. <laughs> and so you just can't escape it, man. It's crazy. Joseph, obviously a coaching carousel that has been extremely wild over the last uh, week or so. And it hit obviously locally here uh, in DFW with SMU and TCU, Sonny Dykes uh, and the worst kept secret in college football. Uh, goes from SMU to TCU. Rhett Lashley takes over for him at SMU. Let's start with Sonny Dykes moving over to TCU. What does his move mean for him, not just individually, but for the programs of SMU and TCU and how TCU was able to get him to come over to their program? 
Yeah, it's been a crazy five weeks. I mean, even going back to the middle of October when they SMU had its bye week, I wrote a column saying, is this Sunny Dice's last year? Just because history would suggest that a coach with group of five success would be a potential power five coach down the road. Um, I did not expect at that point it would be TCU, um, especially considering what happened when SMU and TCU played this year uh, with Rasheed Rice, you know, saying, hey, people come to Dallas, not Fort Worth. And then him and a couple other players trying to plant the flag and all the craziness that ensued there. Um, but this is, I mean, this is a huge move for, for a rivalry that means a lot to the people involved. Um, you know, I, I, I was talking with TCU's athletic director, Jeremiah Donati, the other day after the press conference. And he was talking about how he just marveled at what SMU had been able to do the last couple of years. And that was even before he thought Gary Patterson would leave and that would be an opening. And then once that happened, um, it seemed like that was kind of the candidate all along. I mean, you know, TCU kind of, you know, there were some reported interviews with some other guys, but, you know, five weeks ago, it was Sonny Dykes as a potential guy. And then for the next five weeks, it kind of just persisted around there. You know, it was a crazy coaching carousel. Um, you know, for, for specifically for TCU and SMU, I mean, think about this, SMU announced their hire before TCU did. Um, and I think that kind of just wraps up exactly what, you know, went down. I mean, technically SMU had, I mean, I mean, not contractually, but technically they had two head coaches at the same time. <laughs> so one of the things I'm going to preface this with saying I went to TCU, so I'm a little biased here, but one, <laughs> of, I know they did great work at SMU. So the two guys that I've been seeing a lot mentioned on social media are Brian Carrington and Rashad Samples joining the staff at TCU. I know they're big recruiting aces in the area. What is the background on them, and why are they so important of an addition to this Horn Frog staff? Yeah, they're they're huge additions to the TCU staff. Um, you know, Carrington and Rashad were both recruiting guys at Texas. They weren't on field coaches, but they were recruiting guys at Texas together. And they were getting really good recruits left and right. And, you know, they kind of got a reputation for it. Um, and then Carrington went to USC and samples. Um, you know, it was funny. Uh, Sonny Dykes was telling the story the other day about how, you know, he's been he's known Reginald Samples, the head coach of Duncanville and the dad of Rashad Samples. And they, had, you know, Sonny decided one day to just get lunch with Rashad and just kind of just introduce himself and see, you know, hey, maybe down the road, you know, this young guy could join my staff. And he said after five minutes, of lunch with him. He's like, I need to have him now. And so he, you know, he offered him, you know, to come be a position, uh, a running back coach at SMU and an assistant head coach eventually. Um, and, you know, I think that in addition to getting Sonny Dykes, I think that is probably the thing that TCU fans are really excited about is the fact that they could get Rashad Samples, a guy that has, you know, done so well recruiting in Dallas. You know, he's a Skyline alum. Um, and now you kind of take that Dallas pipeline to Fort Worth, and that's what they're kind of hoping for. Joseph, get us familiar with Rhett Lashley, a guy who was a former OC at SMU, goes to Miami, was the OC there, now gets to come back to SMU as their head coach. What is SMU getting with Rhett Lashley taking over for Sonny Dykes in that program there? Yeah, you know, I tweeted like three minutes into Rhett Lashley's opening press conference. You know, he opened it up with his statements and such. And uh, I said, man, this guy's a quote machine. And uh, one of the things that he said <laughs> – that really stuck with me was, um, you know, he's like on offense, you know what we're going to do. And it was kind of like a flex um, and pretty confident because when he left the last time he was at SMU, you know, they had a top 10 offense in the country. They were fast paced. They scored a lot of points. And that's kind of what Red Lashley's MO is. And it's a big reason why he was, you know, pretty quickly the guy that SMU targeted. 
Um, you know, I mean, we talked with SMU administration this week who said about a month ago, they said, hey, it was pretty clear that the grapevine was telling us that it's time to start looking for a new head coach, even though they'd have another coach for another month. Um, and, you know, they did interviews. Um, and ultimately, though, about a week and a half ago, two weeks, it was, hey, Rhett Lashley is the target if and when Sonny Dykes leaves. It was, a, it was a very interesting thing. But, you know, I think SMU fans are really excited about the idea of having Rhett Lashley. You know, he's young. He was groomed by the SEC. Um, you know, he's 38. Uh, he's fast-paced. He scores a lot of points. Uh, he had, he, you know, if you win press conferences, he had a very charismatic opening to his <laughs> SMU tenure as head coach the other day. And uh, um, I think SMU fans are excited. You know, they're going to want to score a lot of points. I One of the quotes he had, another one, was, you know, I want SMU to be synonymous with TDU. And he said it's not only about touchdowns. Um, you know, it's it's about – he had another acronym for it, and I can't remember it. <laughs> right now but the, the touchdown part of it was something that stuck with me well lucky you we have that ready to go so we can hear Rhett Lashley's TDU acronym real quick I want SMU as TDU to be synonymous with everybody for a lot of reasons we need to score a lot of touchdowns but tough discipline and united that's what we have to be and um, I think we can have uh, a championship program if we just do those three things Tough, disciplined, and united. I like it. He got me ready to run through a wall for uh, for Rick nicely out there uh, at SMU. So, uh, Joseph, I want to get your perspective on this too because obviously these two programs, you know, have had you know history, even recent history with what was going on, you know, earlier this year. How do the dynamics now of these two programs change with Sonny Dice taking over at TCU, knowing that what's going to be happening in terms of the changes in the Big Twelve? And then for Rhett Lashley taking over at SMU, how do now these dynamics of these programs change with these two guys taking over at their schools now? Yeah, I think we should start with uh, the rivalry. I can tell you that that date is already circled on next year's calendar for Ford Stadium <laughs> by a lot of players at SMU. Um, but, you know, but from a dynamic standpoint, you know, what TCU is hoping that Sonny Dykes will do is pretty much exactly what he was doing at SMU, but at TCU. Um, you know, they're hoping that, hey, you were recruiting above a group of five level. Well, here's Power Five resources. Can you do it again? Especially in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I, I know Jeremiah Donati said, like, you know, I was looking at the numbers and we were missing out on guys that we normally get while SMU was getting guys they normally don't. And so that's what they're hoping, you know, Sunny Dice will bring as they kind of get into the new um, Big 12, you know, especially with also three American athletic, athletic conference teams that Sunny's familiar with. And with Rhett Lashley, I, I, I think. You know, it's kind of just hoping that, you know, the foundation is there for SMU. They believe that the blueprint is there. Recruit Dallas, market Dallas, get those kids to stay home. And then when, you know, four and five star recruits go elsewhere out of state, offer them a lifeline back to Dallas, um, you know, in the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, just kind of build on that. You know, Rhett Lashley talked a lot about how, you know, he wanted to thank Sunny Dice because he wouldn't be in this position if that wasn't the case. And that, you know, he was here when the foundation was built. And then he kind of had a comment where he's like, and, but I want to win championships. Don't get me wrong. And that got a lot of oohs and ahs from the SMU fans that were in attendance at his press conference. Um, you know, so I think the two teams, um, you know, I mean, obviously they're going to be connected because of this rivalry now, but it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, they're tied together. So it'll be interesting to see exactly where they go from here on out. And lastly, I know you're not quite as deeply involved in this program, but with Oklahoma, it's, seemed so short notice and there were no rumors leading up to it about Lincoln Riley's departure. What have you kind of heard, reported, seen, maybe just 
uh, infringed yourself about what might have led to that decision to leave for USC, and then also what Oklahoma might do because they seem to be the only program not racing against the clock to try to fill that void. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's only, you know, I don't cover Oklahoma, so there's only so much I can say, but I can tell you that uh, it's funny that I guess we were asking, you know, we being the media, I guess we were asking the wrong question the whole time, you know, we're asking about LSU and, you know, he denied that, you know, really confidently, but in reality, it was always going to be USC, it sounds like. I know Lincoln said that, you know, he got the call Saturday night or Sunday morning, um, you know, after Oklahoma season ended and it was a quick turnaround. Um you know, maybe that's possible, but with how coordinated <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, and all the, the assistants that were on the plane, the first thing Monday morning with him from Norman to, uh, to Southern California, it seems a little hard to believe that, you know, in my personal opinion. Um, but it, you know, it's a, it's a crazy cycle. Oklahoma has a, has a big hire on their hands, you know, and part of the reason that Bob Stoops resigned when he did was because he's like, Hey, the program's in good hands with Lincoln Riley. Well, now Lincoln's gone. There wasn't a clear succession plan. Bob Stoops is literally back in the office recruiting for them right now. And now they got to find a, a head coach that's that's going to do what Lincoln did. And that's score a lot of points, put them in position to get to the college football playoff every single year and really recruit well. Um, you know, I, I thought probably the craziest thing was, you know, with, you know, with Lincoln going to USC, you know, I'm a West Coast guy. I'm from, I went to Oregon. Um you know, and I was always astounded at how well Oklahoma was recruiting Southern California specifically. And now he's literally, you know, they, and he was bringing them to Norman. Now he can just bring them down the street to to USC. And, uh, you know, he's he's right there. And he's already gotten two major commitments that were committed to Oklahoma to flip to USC. So uh, it, that's, that's going to be a fascinating hire to see who Oklahoma ends up with. Um, you know, I feel like you got to take some home run swings, but also – I don't know how many home runs there are to be had, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, the coaching carousel has turned so much, and we've already seen so much stuff happen that we'll see where they go. I'm fascinated. Yeah, that'll be an interesting storyline to watch for sure as we move through bowl season. Joseph, thanks for taking a few minutes to it, talk to us and explain to us what's been going on the last week. Uh, hope you have a good weekend. Yeah, of course. Always enjoy it. Have a good one, guys. That's Joseph Hoyt with the Dallas Morning News joining us on Big Game Friday morning. And we will also have another guest from the Morning News coming up here shortly to talk about high school football. But first, let's get into the Big 12 championship game a little bit. Big 12 title game features Baylor and Oklahoma State. A lot on the line for both of these teams, namely really for Oklahoma State, who features one of the best defenses in the country for Mike Gundy's squad, Dave Aranda, who has put himself firmly in the conversation for national coach of the year, turning that Baylor Bear program around. For Oklahoma State, though, a team that finds himself right now sixth in the college football playoff rankings, a win and then some chaos in front of them, Oklahoma State could find themselves in the college football playoff if they're able to secure a win over Baylor in the Big 12 title game. Of course, that game taking place at AT&T Stadium in Jerry's World. I'm taking Oklahoma State in this game, and I think they've got themselves a real shot to make the college football playoff, uh, that defense is terrific, and they had got a chance to prove it against one of the best rushing attacks in all of college football in Baylor inside of AT&T Stadium next, this, on Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for Oklahoma State for one reason, and that's because I think it's the Big 12's only chance to get a team mm -hmm. into the college football playoff. So if you're a Big 12 fan, you need to, unless you're a Baylor fan, then I understand. But if you're a Big 12 fan, then I think you need to be rooting for Oklahoma State because especially with the 
level of confidence in the conference moving forward with losing Texas and Oklahoma, you want to start to see some of these other programs get to that level where they're competing among the last four standing. And a lot of that, you know, you have to be a Georgia fan. If Georgia, if Alabama somehow beats Georgia in the SEC title game, you know the committee's putting both of them in. They love to put in two <laughs> SEC schools. That's like Christmas for them. Um, so, you know, if that happens, then I think Oklahoma State's in trouble. I think Cincinnati could be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, They've got a tough know, conference they, championship game against Houston. And I have to correct myself, Oklahoma State sitting at five, Notre Dame sitting at six as far as the college football playoff ranking. So with Baylor sitting there at nine, Oklahoma has a chance to get another top ten win in the Big 12 title game. And then with the chaos that could potentially happen in front of them, Alabama plays Georgia in the SEC title game. If Alabama loses, Oklahoma State wins. Maybe Oklahoma State could find themselves sliding into that top four uh, with Cincinnati potentially being there as the champion of the American Athletic Conference. A lot of chaos to be sorted out potentially this weekend. Georgia playing Alabama in the SEC title game. Michigan playing Iowa in the Big Ten title game. Cincinnati taking on uh, Houston in the American Athletic Conference championship game. Oklahoma State taking on Baylor in the Big 12 title game. Meanwhile, Notre Dame that watched Brian Kelly walk to LSU. Right has their new head coach in Marcus Freeman. They're just sitting there waiting to see what happens potentially in front of them. And it should be potential chaos and championship. We could be. And, you know, I saw a couple things where the committee said, you know, it could take into consideration uh, coaching changes and stuff like that for whether to put teams in. I think that would be a shame for the, you're not, you're penalizing the players. If, if Notre Dame ends up being one of those four, obviously there's a good chance that it doesn't get to that. If, Georgia wins and Oklahoma State wins. I think Alabama and Oklahoma State probably just kind of swap out of those top four, and those are your four playoff teams. At least that would be my hope. Um, but I saw this note, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. A one-loss Power 5 team, a one-loss Power 5 conference champion has never been left out of the college football playoff. Oh, so wow. you're looking at a possibility this year where that could happen uh, if it's Oklahoma State. Wow, that's interesting because I could see a scenario where if Oklahoma State won the Big 12 title game, I could see them potentially jumping uh, Cincinnati, even yeah. though they'd be undefeated. I know, and that would be a shame for Cincinnati, but you know that's where that group of five thing comes into play. Exactly. So uh, big weekend as far as championship weekend in college football is concerned here, uh, right here on Big Game Friday morning. Uh, coming up here in just a moment, uh, we're going to have uh, – actually joining us right now, from the Dallas Morning News, uh, Corvus Smith talking uh, some big, big matchups in ty- Texas high school state football this weekend. A huge weekend of action, especially for some DFW schools that really have some true opportunities to continue to move on and make some noise as far as the playoffs are concerned. Corvus Smith of the Dallas Morning News joining us right now, right here on Big Game Friday morning. Corvus, good morning to you. How you doing? Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing well. Very good. Uh, big weekend in Texas high school uh, football playoffs this weekend. Uh, I want to start with a matchup that's uh, going to be taking place uh, at the Ford Center at the Star on Saturday night. Uh, Duncanville and DeSoto, it doesn't get much bigger than Duncanville and DeSoto. Talk to me about this matchup and what's on the line for these two teams. A win would put Duncanville in the state semifinals for the fourth consecutive season, Corbin. Reginald Samples has just done an amazing job there at at Duncanville. I mean, their loan loss this season is to California's Modern Day, uh, which is kind of a one of those uh, schools that 
you know, has all the top recruits in the country, at least coming from the West Coast. So, you know, it, it's like IMG Academy has been in recent past, kind of on a different tier than traditional high schools. Um, it's a rematch, like a lot of these games this weekend. We actually have, a, I think, four or five rematches of area teams. Just shows how strong some of these districts are. Uh, Duncanville, I, I, I think that was a 42-21 to 21 win uh, over DeSoto earlier in the season. DeSoto under Claude Mathis, they've gotten that mojo back. They've, uh, you know, you know, had had a lull there where they went from state champion uh, to a team that wasn't making these deep runs in the playoffs. With Mathis back in the fold, he had had such great success uh, during his early tenure there before heading off to the college ranks for a little bit. Uh, they're going to need to be able to to stop turning the ball over. They had four turnovers in that game, and they're they're not going to be able to do that against a Duncanville team uh, that is just dominant. If you look at what they can do. Offensively for Duncanville, it's Malachi Metlock. He, he's going to be the engine of that, that that team. Whatever they can get from the passing game is going to be uh, an accentuation of what they can get in the running game. Duncanville dominant up front uh, on both sides of the ball. So should be a good game, but I'm, I'm expecting Duncanville to win this pretty handily. Corbett, one of the things I like when I don't have a rooting interest in a game is upsets. And we saw that last week with South Oak Cliff knocking off Alito. How big is this run for South Oak Cliff this season and for Dallas ISD in general? They're playing Lovejoy this week. Uh, but what does it mean for Dallas ISD, just big picture, having a team this deep? I know they haven't won a state championship uh, in a long time, haven't competed for one in like in about 20 years or so. Uh, so how meaningful is this South Oak Cliff run for the district and for the city? I mean, if South Oak Cliff can get over this hurdle, you wait, look at the way that the, the things shake out. They might be the favorites all the way uh, through the playoffs, which would be you know phenomenal. They beat who I think everybody assumed was going to be the, the, the lone lock for Metroplex champions uh, in Alito. Alito had uh, looked, looked amazing throughout the course of the year. And, uh, you know, this SOC team, it, it's well-balanced. They've got a, a great quarterback and uh, Kevin Henry Jennings, uh, they've got good running attacks, some great receivers, and a strong defense. Uh, and their lone loss of the season was, uh, I believe it was their season opener against Duncanville, where they played them fairly competitive. Uh, you know, they, they scored 27 points against a really good Duncanville team defense. Since that time, you know, they've been lights out. And uh, I, I think for Dallas ISD, it's, it's always great for them to have a great run. With, when they had Reginald Samples at Skyline, uh, now the Duncanville coach, uh, you know, Samples took that Skyline team all the way to the state semifinals, was really a couple of plays away in a couple of years from beating teams like Allen, from beating teams like Southlake that went on to win uh, state titles with Kenny Hill and with Kyler Murray. So they were very close uh, under under Samples for from getting that thing. I think it's been something like 68 years since they've won a state title. Maybe this is the year for the Golden Bears. They certainly uh, it opened a lot of eyes last week. Uh, this is a good uh, Lovejoy team. Um, you know, sophomore quarterback Alexander Franklin is, uh, you know, is one of the best uh, quarterback prospects in the in the area, if not the nation. And, uh, you know, they're going to have their hands full this week. Speaking of Southlake, Carroll and Allen, those two get down with each other uh, this weekend. As you mentioned a little bit earlier, just a big weekend as far as DFW schools are concerned, area schools are concerned. That game takes place uh, at 2 p.m. on Saturday uh, at the University of North Texas at Apogee Stadium there. How big of a powerhouse matchup is this with Southlake Carroll and Allen, two historically 
terrific programs getting down with each other uh, in the Texas high school state playoffs this weekend. I'm, I, you don't really find uh, you know matchups where the names are bigger. I mean, Allen and South Lake Carroll are nationally known as powerhouse teams out of the state of Texas. And you look at what Riley Dodge has done in his time at South Lake Carroll, made the state final last year and got beat by a, a, a great Austin Westlake team who's not in Division One this year. So with with Westlake in Division Two and Katie in Division Two, that really opens up. Uh, the door for a team like Carroll to be the prohibitive favorite. And everybody thought this was going to be their year. And then all of a sudden, at the start of the season, Quinn Ewers, their quarterback, decides to go to Ohio State, uh, You know, decides to get that NIL money, and uh, congratulations to him. But that left them with a vacancy. Uh, uh, but you know, you know, they said, okay, well, who's going to be the guy there? Uh, and Caden Anderson has stepped in. I think Caden Anderson's stats are he's thrown for you know, 2,600 yards. Uh, 35, uh, 33 touchdowns, five interceptions. It's been amazing for a backup quarterback to step in that role, but that's what they do at Carroll. They've got a lot of depth, especially at the quarterback position. Owen Allen, their running back, has been you know a stalwart here in the last couple of years uh, there for them as well. Uh, you look on the other side, and, and Allen, this is, for a lot of people, maybe a, a building, a rebuilding year under Chad Morris, their new head coach. He was coming from the college ranks back to high school's where he's had tremendous success, uh, but they had two regular season losses, and you just don't see that. They lost a district game uh, to Prosper, uh, a team that you know, has four losses on the season. So it wasn't like they were, you know, you know, getting beat by the upper echelon. Uh, you know, they lost to Prosper, they lost to Humble Atascacita. Now I think it speaks to the quality of both those teams that those teams are still around in the playoffs. You know, there's a, a rematch that uh, Prosper has with Geyer. Uh, that's one of the games this weekend, and Atascacita is still around uh, in Region 3. Um, whether or not they can get their running game going, they've really relied on their running game uh, more so than they have in recent years. And, uh, you know, they've got a couple of great backs, Jalen Jenkins being, you know, their, their star running back, almost 2,000 yards rushing. Um, you know, he's got 22 touchdowns. Uh, he's been been phenomenal. If they can run the ball and keep that game close, uh you just look, I think that they've got a shot against Carroll, but Carroll is the prohibitive favorite. These two teams have combined to win 13 state titles, eight for South Lake Carroll and five for Allen. A, just a classic matchup in the Texas high school state playoffs this weekend. And I want to take you to a game that's partially out of our area, a 50-50 game with uh, Class 5A D1 with Denton Ryan and College Station. Those are the top two teams in that division. Are we looking at a situation there where it's kind of a shame where the top two teams meet up this early in the playoffs? And are we looking, like you said, with South Low Cliff, the winner of that game, maybe the prohibitive favorite moving forward? Yeah, I would have said yes, but I saw Denton Ryan earlier, like I guess their last district game. Uh, Pat and I were uh, at uh, the Ford Center to see them play uh, Frisco Lone Star. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a high, you know, explosive game, high scoring game. And it ended up being seven, six uh, in a game that was really, you know, kind of a mud fight. And both teams really struggling to move the ball against good defenses. Uh, I think that showed me that this isn't the Ryan team from a year ago. You know, they lost their quarterback. They lost a couple of real star players, high recruits. Um, you know, they were returning a good running back uh, in Caleb Hicks and a great defense uh, that, we're missing those kind of standout pieces. And, you know, th they beat uh, College Station last year pretty handily on their way to that state title. College Station's rolling. They've 
they've beaten a couple of Metroplex teams. They beat that Lone Star team really uh, soundly earlier in the playoffs two rounds ago, and they you know had their way with with Wakeland. Although Wakeland stuck in with it last week, yeah, you know, I think that College Station is probably the favorite. You look at the rest of that bracket, uh, though. I'd be really interesting to see how the winner of Mansfield Summit and Colleyville Heritage, another district rematch in Region 1. That's going to be whoever wins the, the Ryan College Station game. That's going to be their next opponent. Um, I'm really fascinated by this Summit team. You look at who they've lost to. They lost to Colleyville Heritage in a district game where they went for too late to try to win that game. So obviously those teams are, are very evenly matched. Their other losses are to Austin Westlake, the prohibitive favorite in 6A Division Two and Jinx, a school out of uh, the, the Tulsa area in Oklahoma, who's playing for the state title in the largest classification in Oklahoma. And, you know, they, they were relatively competitive in both those games, although those two teams kind of walked, uh, you know, later in that game. Um, but those three losses, there's nothing, you, you know, there's nothing to be, you know, doubting the quality of Summit. Summit made that great run last year, and they've got a good quarterback and a great running back and a good defense. I don't know whether or not they can slow down or whether Ryan can slow down Marquise Collins, a running back for College Station, who's just been, you know, lights out uh, here in the regular season. But it'll be a really interesting, uh, you know, playoff bracket to see how it plays out. Corbin, before we get you out of here, where will you be at this weekend as far as the uh, Texas high school state playoffs are concerned in the game that you'll be uh, watching closely that you'll be at this weekend? Assuming that Pat's flight doesn't get delayed uh, coming back from New Orleans after that Cowboys victory, we'll be at Mansfield Summit and Colleyville Heritage. That's tonight. It's a 7 o'clock kickoff at Birdville. Uh, you know, there were a couple of games we were interested in. We were also interested in that uh, 4A Division II matchup uh, between uh, uh, Salina and, uh, and um, Aubrey. Um, that was a another rematch. Um, but th this is the game we're going to, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're excited. Well, it should be a terrific weekend of high school state football action. Duncanville, DeSoto, Southlake, Carroll, Allen. It doesn't get much better than some of the biggest schools playing on the biggest weekends in Texas high school state football. Corporate, thank you so much for the time, as always, man, and enjoy the football this weekend. Y'all have a good one. There you go. It's Corbett Smith of the Dallas Morning News. does a terrific job covering all things high school football here for the great state of Texas. As I mentioned, some really good games this weekend. Uh, Southlake, Carroll, and Allen combined 13 state titles. doesn't get much bigger than those two getting down uh, this early in the playoffs as well. No, and it doesn't even matter. Like Corbett said, Southlake, without the quarterback, maybe not as mm -hmm. big of a deal as last year but it does, or uh, in previous years, but it doesn't matter. This deep in the playoffs, if you put those two names next to each other, there's going to be a lot of interest there. Same thing, as you said, with DeSoto and Duncanville. And like I told Corbett, I'm really interested. I love these kind of underdog stories. I would love to see South Oak Cliff continue to make this run into the playoffs. Yeah, upset of the Texas high school state playoffs so far, them beating Alito. Yeah. A lot of love showing for South Oak Cliff out there. Hopefully they continue their magical run through the Texas high school state playoffs. A terrific weekend of high school college and nfl action of course the cowboys getting the win over the saints 27 to 17 that gets us to what we thought the best thing that we saw all week was uh chris i'll start with you what was the best thing that you saw all week whether it be uh nfl wise football wise or even outside of football i'm gonna go outside of football mm -hmm. and i'm Wondering if I may be stealing yours. I'm going to go with the Rangers' half-billion-dollar spending <laughs> spree on Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, and John Gray. I think, you know, they're still 
year or two away from competing for a division title, mm-hmm. but I think it sends a great message to fans and to other players because, you know, I was shocked when I saw the Marcus Semyon deal, and who knows if Corey Seager comes here if they don't make that move first, though, because it shows the bigger-name player mm-hmm. that you have a little bit of a commitment to spending money and continuing to build. Yeah, Marcus Simeon getting $175 million. My man, Corey Seager, 10 years, $325 million. Give the Rangers credit. Uh, spending over half a billion dollars, not a bad week. Unfortunately, now, Major League Baseball is in uh, a lockout. Hopefully, they'll get those things resolved. But, hey, the Rangers They've spent, got time. Exactly. they got time. They spent a bunch of money before – uh, the lockout started. That was going to be mine because I thought that was going to be a – that's a really cool thing to see them do. But I'll go with this one. Tiger Woods spoke for the first time since his near-tragic accident in February, and he went into a lot of different things, potentially having his leg amputated. Like, he went into a lot. So he's hosting his uh, annual golf tournament that he has uh, every single year, this one in the Bahamas this year. Um, but he spoke with the media this week. Good to see Tiger Woods smiling, hitting golf balls once again. No expectations as far as a real comeback is concerned, but hopefully for him, the quality of life going forward for Tiger Woods is what he wants us to be. Wants he, what he wants us to be playing with his kids and being able to do the things that he was accustomed to doing prior to that near near tragic accident. So that was the best thing I saw for me all week. Yeah, I mean it's great to see that. It sounds like you know that could have been near fatal crash. Yeah. So the fact that he is back walking again, he posted a video of himself hitting a golf ball the other day, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and the fans love to see that. So a big week of football here, not only college football, but the Big 12 title game uh, with Baylor taking on uh, Oklahoma State.